Welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. Um, But uh, it's such an honor. I get the privilege of serving all of our churches. You may not know this, and this is okay, but you may not know this. You're a part of something really big. Uh, you're a part of something that's that's literally changing the world. And right here in Ohio, it's 293 churches right now who are gathering somewhere in places across this state, about 45,000 people, 914 ministers. Uh, you're a part of that thing. And it's even bigger than that, if you can imagine it. Um, in uh, churches across uh, America right now, there are about Oh, uh, 13,500 churches and about 3 million people worshiping Jesus. But it's bigger than that, even still, because we have, check this out, 350,000 churches worldwide. Sometimes, somewhere, in some time zone, some place is going to be a church where 90 million people will worship Jesus Christ together. As a part of this big Assemblies of God family, every 90 seconds, by the time we're over, dozens of people, every 90 seconds, someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ in the Assemblies of God church. Every 90 minutes, by the time church is done, a church will have been launched, a pastor will have been sent out. And so we're grateful to be a part of this really big thing. And you are a part of that. You are a part of that. And so I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and share the word of the Lord with you today. I don't know if you've ever had one of these moments in your life. I know I have in my life where I have uh, gotten to the, the juncture where I, I thought I wanted to be, but when I got there, I didn't know what to do. Um, anybody ever been in that spot? I remember being, uh, I graduated from a, uh, a school called Central Bible College. It's since merged into Evangel University, but it, um, um, and that's a whole backstory. Um, but um, the, I graduated, uh, and we moved, uh, my wife and I, my, my wife and family are here, my, my little ones and kid men, but, um, we moved, uh, from, from where we were in Missouri, we're both from the lower Midwest, uh, I'm from Oklahoma, she's from Kansas, and so we got this job in Ohio, a place we, uh, we didn't know, I mean, Tasha's family kind of grew up in Cincinnati, but, but we moved to Northeast Ohio. I don't know if you know anything about Northeast Ohio, um, but it's very different from Oklahoma and Kansas. Um, and so we moved all the way across the world. We had um, gotten these degrees. We had done everything we needed to do, got ministerial credentials with the Assemblies of God. And I remember so vividly coming into my office. I had an office. They were going to pay me to do this. I mean, this was the dream come true. I set up all the books that I had, and I did all the things. And I remember sitting down behind my desk going, what am I supposed to do now? I, I remember quietly sitting there for an hour going, um, I got everything ready for service. Uh, what do I do now? Right? Uh, I, I had this moment when my first son was born where we, we get him home. And uh, Tasha's mom had gone out to get um, uh, some diapers. And we're just sitting there, me and her, and now this baby that they've given to us without even a, so much as a test to see if we could be parents. <laughs> and I remember just thinking, well, we've been like working for nine months to get him here. What now? Right? What's next? What do we do now? Right? 
We come to those moments in life where big things that we've been planning for, big dreams that God's placed on our hearts, big big assignments, big agendas have been placed in front of us. And then once we're there, often we find ourselves asking the question, what now? What should we be up to? Why did we work so hard to get here? What's next in the assignment? Well, the disciples find themselves in that place in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 um, here, and we'll be in verse 6 in just a moment. The disciples have gotten themselves to this place. I mean, imagine for, for hundreds of years, literally hundreds of years, eight, nine hundred years, there have been prophecies about the coming Messiah, the one who would make everything right, the one who would set everything into motion. He would he was restore that which has been taken from them. He would he would have no no entity who would overcome them. I mean, that's that's the the level of of expectation they've had. For, for, for literally centuries. This is the person they have been waiting for in Jesus Christ. And, and so when Jesus comes onto the scene, they have gone to all kinds of twists and turns, right? You, so you have, have Jesus coming in, and they're seeing him do miracles, signs, and wonders. I mean, things that they could never have begun to imagine or, or think about. But it's not just miracles, signs, and wonders. And when he teaches and preaches, the Bible says he preaches as one who has authority. That was kind of the claim against him. And so when he speaks, it's like he has access to their hearts. I mean, it's just like he has the key to unlock everything. So they, they actually cash it all in. It's pretty surprising what they do. When you get into Luke chapter 5, and they say they, they cast their nets to the side and they follow Jesus. I mean, literally, it's like, hey, I'm quitting my job. And I'm do- that thing that, you know, that, 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 that occupation that my dad did and his dad did and his dad did and his dad did, that really, really important family identity, that's gone. I'm going to discard that and I'm going to follow Jesus. I mean, the things that they did to, to follow Jesus were, were unbelievable when you think about it. So they've been following him and following him and following them. All of a sudden, things start to escalate. And before they know it, before, I mean, literally, you can imagine what, what that last week before Jesus dies is like, where they go from, hey, Jesus is awesome, let's celebrate him, to Jesus is on a cross, and now we may be next and we've cashed everything in, and we've put all, all our chips in the center on Jesus, and we bet on the wrong horse, because how can the Messiah die? How can the one who's supposed to make everything right not make it? So the depths of sorrow, not only in following Jesus and, and feeling the loss of someone who's important to them, but the loss of everything that they had planned on achieving everything that they knew was recalibrated, and literally in three days they go from the bottom of the roller coaster to the top of the roller coaster, right? Where the greatest joy of their life was literally to put their hands on the resurrected Christ. I mean, can you imagine what that must have been like for them to go from the depths of sorrow to the heights of joy? And now all that they had been preparing for, all that they had been planning for, is now taken up to the next level because we go, man, this, this is the, a different kind of Messiah than what I thought it was going to be. And so in the days that follow the resurrection, there are about 40 days that follow the resurrection where Jesus just spends time and all he does is connect the dots. Like, they have been, have had all of these dots hanging out there, and, and without any numbers, by the way. And so there's a picture behind those dots. But what Jesus does, he says, okay, this one connects to this one and this one. Oh, now there's a picture, right? So that's what Jesus has been up to. 
And so the disciples are going to ask Jesus a question, a question that makes so much sense, a question that Jesus doesn't directly answer, which is kind of his MO. Um, but, but Jesus is going to redirect them towards something that will be profound. We'll find it in Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So Jesus, we know the Messiah's job is to come in and make all things right and establish the kingdom of God in the world. That's the, that's the Messiah's job. So, so when, when are you going to do that? So it's like, like now, I mean, you've died, come back to life. That seems pretty cool. That seems like you can't be killed in battle. And like the Romans are kind of in our business. And so, I mean, if Jesus can come back to life, he probably can shoot lasers out of his eyes. And so let's go ahead and do this thing. When are you going to restore your kingdom? When are you going to kick the tires and light the fires? When is this thing going to happen? And, and the kind of secondary question to that is, where is our place in that? I mean, they've had this question kind of bubbling up from time to time, if you read the Gospels, where they kind of go, so when it all goes down, you're going to remember we kind of were with you from the beginning, right? Like, that's, that's kind of the deal. So when are you going to do this? And then Jesus responds to them with such a profound statement, because what they believe at this moment is that Jesus restoring the kingdom of God means Jesus is overthrowing the Romans, who've overtaken them as a nation. It means Jesus is going to establish them as a political kingdom. He's going to establish them as a military power, an economic power. He's going to make all things right, and people are going to prosper. And, and that's what's in their brain, because that's what they've been told the Messiah is going to do. And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. You don't need to know that. It's above your pay grade. He doesn't say that he's not going to establish a kingdom. He doesn't say that he's not going to make all things right. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, we know that that's happening. Like you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and maybe you're in a room, and right now you're investigating this. I, I want to give you a forecast to the future when Jesus will, in fact, make all things right. It's a new heaven and a new earth. He's, there will be nothing but peace. The Bible talks about a day when there is no sorrow, there is no pain, there are no tears, there are no death. There's nothing but perfection for all of eternity. That day is coming. And sometimes we get all twisted around, especially as, as political times seem more challenging, especially as the world seems to be spinning into chaos and economic pressure, inflation. I mean, groceries, can I get, uh, right? Like, Jesus, come on. Mm. <laughs> right? Especially as all this, we often will ask the question, so when, Jesus, are you going to do this? Jesus, when are you doing this? And he's saying, it's above your pay grade. Don't focus on the when. Don't focus on the how. It's not in your own authority. Uh, the Greek word there is exousia. It's a, a word that the Bible commonly translates as power. It's not within your power to know those things. But then he says, but I want to redirect your attention. And he says, but you will receive power. 
When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You don't have the authority, the power to to understand all of this over here. It's going to happen. You're going to have to trust me. But what are you going to be doing now in this moment? You're going to receive power. The, The Greek word there is a little bit different. It's actually the word dunamis. Every time that Luke, the writer of Acts, uses this word, it always reflects a supernatural capacity. Every time that Jesus does miracles in the power of the Spirit in the book of Luke, he's saying a supernatural capacity to do signs and wonders. And so you can imagine what this sentence must have sounded like to them. But you will receive power. Hold on, what? Jesus, I saw you do power like walking on water power and like raising the dead power and healing the sick power and like, uh, what? Like, whoa, time out. That would have been been enough. He could have put a period on the sentence and their heads would have still been spinning. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. That's like a phrase. You may not realize that. You may not recognize that. But these guys had been steeped in the Old Testament. And the only people who the Holy Spirit comes upon are special people. Prophets and priests and kings and judges. People who are going to change the trajectory of the kingdom of God. These are not, I mean, they're going, wait, what a second. You said power and then you said Holy Spirit come upon. And that's what happens with special people like Moses. And I'm not Moses. What in the world? Who gets that when he says you will receive power? Guys, that's not even just like power and and come upon. That's like you. That word you in, in Greek is a plural you. There's a, I won't get into all this stuff because it's not really that exciting. But it's a plural you. I, I grew up in Oklahoma, friends. That is y'all. That is, that's everybody. Right? That's not just special people. He's saying, he'd be like the group about probably about this size saying, you all. Every single one of you are going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and who does the Holy Spirit come upon except the prophets and priests and kings in the Old Testament? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem. I've been to Jerusalem, Judea. Okay, that's just around the corner. Samaria, ooh, didn't like it when we went there. People that didn't look like me and sound like me and talk like me and walk like me and Oof. Ends of the earth? Jesus, I've ever only ever been 30 miles from my house. I mean, almost all of these people would never have been more than 30 to 50 miles from their home. And Jesus is expanding their perspective to say, it's bigger than you can imagine. I mean, can you imagine this moment? Their heads are spinning with one of the most powerful sentences in all of history. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And as soon as Jesus said this, something weird takes place. Here's what happens. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And the cloud took him out of their sight. So I want you to imagine right now, he just drops like the mic, right? He drops the bomb on them with a sentence that's so laden with meaning, their heads are spinning. And before they get a chance to ask a follow-up question, Jesus is like David Blaine's up into the air, right? 
We're talking like Peter Pan, okay? That's what we're talking right now. No wires. There are no strings. Like he is lifting up into the sky in a cloud. I mean, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. So unbelievable that their mouths are on the floor and their eyes are in the sky. To the point that what what Luke tells us right after this is that angels appear in front of them and they don't notice. I mean, what kind of day do you have to be having where angels appearing in front of you is not the most exciting thing to happen that day? They're caught off guard. And the angels say to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heavens? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Growing up, I, I grew up in church. In fact, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. I know nothing other than this tribe. And so I, I've got the tattoo. I mean, I'm not, it's the whole thing, right? The old AG medallion, not the new one, the old one, okay? But the, um, the thing that was always so confusing to me about this moment, I get, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That I have a box for. I've heard that message preached about 10,000 times growing up. But, but this passage was always so very confusing to me. Jesus' exit is sort of interesting. In fact, I, I grew up in the era, some of you will know what this is, and if you don't, man, you're blessed, okay? I grew up in the area of cantatas, okay? Basically, this is a low-rent, like, church musical, okay? Um, and so um, we grew up in that area where, like, the choir's singing, and it's, it's rough. I mean, it's just fake beards, the whole thing. It's just bad, okay? So I grew up watching this scene take place every Easter because Jesus always ascends, except we built this, like, contraption where they could do this kind of special effects thing where, like, were these two big guys in the church. It was like a ramp. And so they had these, this Jesus up there, and he was supposed to get pulled up, and he would get, go to heaven. You know, that's kind of the idea. Like, if you remember... Um, like uh, Price is Right, um, that little yodeler little guy, that, that kind of thing, okay? So Jesus, and this is my recollection of ascension, is Jesus is getting pulled up, but he gets stuck in the middle. And so the, the road catches, and he's kind of stuck between heaven and earth, and it totally changes theology. I mean, it just messes people up, right? And so these guys can't figure out what to do, and so they just go one, two, three, yank, and all of a sudden you see Jesus do one of these, you know? <laughs> what in the world is this story? I mean, Jesus has disappeared before. You, you remember this, right? Jesus has left them before. Pretty miraculous. I mean, he disappears. Like, he just, like, poof, and he's gone, right? Why did Jesus choose to do it this way? Because here's the thing. I do things by accident, but Jesus always does things on purpose. Why does Jesus choose to leave the earth like this? Now, I'm not going to leave you hanging for too long here. And it's because he's not the first person to do this. He's not the first person to do it this way. And so for the disciples that day, what Jesus chooses to do on his way out is an object lesson to what he just said to them in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And to catch that object lesson, we actually have to travel back to the Old Testament where this actually occurred before. So if you'll travel with me back to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter 2. 
This is the story of Elijah and Elisha. If you think about Elijah in the Old Testament, he was the prophet. If if, the first century Jewish world was to say, who is the most important prophet? Every single one of them would have said Elijah. In fact, when, when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? One of the answers that people have is maybe he's Elijah come back to life. I mean, he is the guy. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is told by God to go find Elisha, who's the younger, and throw his mantle upon him because he's going to be a prophet. And we're calling on that young man. So we get to 2 Kings chapter 2, and what we learn through this passage is that it's time for Elijah to go. But we see some powerful things taking place here that inform what Jesus was trying to do in Acts chapter 1. So let's look at it here. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha says, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And Elijah says, yes, I know, keep quiet. So what we're going to learn through this little story is that the sons of the prophets are kind of goons, okay? They're kind of goobers, and they're kind of a a player in this story. So we have Elijah, Elisha, and these sons of the prophets. So then we move on. Elijah said to him, Elijah, please stay here. For the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets were at Jericho and drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you not know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. And Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. So I want you to get the picture here because this is really important. So you have the Jordan River, and we'll talk about the Jordan River in a moment. Elijah and Elisha are approaching there. Somewhere down the river, I imagine in my brain, this is not from the Bible, but that they're in the bushes because it seems like something they would do, kind of like checking things out. Because they know Elijah is about to be taken. They want to see what's going down. They're standing on the other side of the river. And we come to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is not just any river, but it's the place where God does stuff. The place where God does stuff. You can recall back to a moment where the Jordan River was parted as the people of God stepped into it and they walked into the promised land for the very first time. They took stones from the middle of that river and made an altar so that every generation that followed them would remember what God did there that day. This is an important place. This is a place, and this is just a a freebie here. There are often times when we go through our relationship with God where he'll take us to familiar places to remind us that he does things over and over and over again. He often operates in the same way so we know that we can trust him, right? So he takes him to the Jordan River, this place where God has ultimately done many, many things, and they have to get to the other side. And so what we know happens then is that Elijah took his cloak. This cloak is this mantle 
this thing that would have been recognizable. In fact, people would have rolled up as, uh, as Elijah wears this cloak as a prophet, as the prophet of God. Uh, he wears this cloak and people could look across the room and go, oh, that's the prophet. It's like his uniform. It symbolizes the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is a divine assignment paired with divine empowerment. He takes this cloak. The Bible says that they, he rolled it up and he struck the water. And what happens? The water parted to one side and to the other till the two could go on dry ground. And again, if you're not thinking about Joshua walking from one side to the other on dry ground, you, you're just not catching the significance of this moment. God will mark his moments in redemptive history with these little underlines so that we know he's working. So they go across on dry ground, and now comes the moment that Elisha has been waiting for when they had crossed. Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elisha says, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and those of you who don't know what that is, you're in one. Um, and so... Um, but the one that I grew up in was kind of classical, Pentecostal, Southern, you know, shucking and bucking, snorting and stomping kind of Pentecost. Beat the pulpit Pentecost. My pastor used to preach and, and say, if I don't have anything to say, I just say it louder, okay? Um, that's, that's the kind of Pentecost that I grew up in. It's very, very demonstrative worship style. And, and I have heard this sermon, this passage preached in, oh, good Lord, um, in countless countless services where it's what do you want me to do for you i want a double portion right i don't just want one i want two somebody <laughs> right like <laughs> right this is like the thanksgiving message <laughs> let's just go on one piece of pie we're gonna want a couple right like <laughs> right this is that 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 message right and, and and i heard that so many times i don't just want what you have i want twice what you have. And there is nothing wrong with wanting more of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not what Elisha is asking for. That's not. And I heard that message time and again, and I won't fault my now, my pastor who's now with the Lord for preaching that. That's a good message. But that's not what Elisha is asking for. The question, the statement that Elisha makes here, will you give me a double portion, is a reference to uh, inheritance. When a, um, when a father in a, an ancient Near Eastern family would um, be ready to pass on, the estate would need to be divided up. Now, you have to understand it's a patriarchal society. That means the, the father, specifically usually the grandfather, the oldest father in the family, would be responsible for the care, protection, and flourishing of that family. They were responsible for that. So when that takes place, there are sons that get inheritance, and it's not divided equally. The oldest son, who is responsible for that family after the father leaves, would get two-thirds of the estate. It was called the double portion. So you can imagine the estate being divided into threes, right? So you get two, two portions that go to the eldest son, one portion that goes to the rest of the sons, however many there are. The double portion was intended to be an inheritance, something that a father would give to the son. 
So what, what Elisha is asking of Elijah is inheritance. I want what you have. Not just to say, I want what you have, but I want the responsibility you have. I want to carry on, check this out, the work that you were doing. Because that's what a father would say to an eldest son, was your job now is to carry on my family legacy. Your job now is to take my stead. Your responsibility, it's not just your, your, your blessing, but it's your responsibility to continue the work that I have been doing after I am gone. And so what Elisha is saying to Elijah, I want not just your blessing, I don't just want your anointing, but I want your mantle. I want to carry on the work that you do even beyond when you are gone. And Elijah responds by saying, you've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not, it shall not be so. You've asked a hard thing. Carrying on the work of the Lord, the mantle of the Lord, the responsibility, the assignment, not just with the blessing, not just with the power, but with the anointing, to carry on the work is a hard thing. It's a hard thing, not an easy thing. It's a hard thing. They went on, the Bible says, and behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated them. And Elijah went up in a whirlwind. Elisha cried out. He saw it all take place. He says, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And then he saw him no more. And they took, then he took hold of his clothes and he tears them into two pieces and, and grief he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan. So the scene is that suddenly there are chariots and horses and fire and, and just unbelievable. Somewhere along the way, Elijah disappears, but the cloak falls from the sky and lands and Elijah do, or Elisha does what everybody would have done because this is not just a cloak. It's not just his jacket. It's not just like, hey, that's his, his favorite sweater. Like, it's not that. It's something much, much more. It's symbolic to who he is. And he goes and picks it up. And where does he go back to? He goes back to the Jordan River. Remember that cloak, that, that, what it did before at the Jordan River? You can no doubt think that if, if, if I've really got the power, if I've really gotten his inheritance, I've really gotten, gotten what he, he was intending to pass along, that I wonder if, if I strike the Jordan, do you think, right? So he goes over to the Jordan River, but lest we forget there are, he is not alone. Remember? We've got 50 dudes hanging in the bushes across the river, right? They're watching this whole thing go down. And I, this is not Bible, so you know, take this with a grain of salt, but I have to believe there was probably a moment, if it would have been Josh, there would have been a moment when I stood there with the mantle. I stood there wondering if I strike the water, will it part? But more importantly, because I'm not alone, I'm wondering if I strike the water 
What if nothing happens? What if nothing happens? I, I have been at plenty of times in my life, and maybe you've been there and maybe you are there, where you've been given everything you've prayed for. Everything that God has placed in your hand, and you stand at the precipice of, of really walking into that calling and that anointing and that power and that, that purpose that God has laid in front of you, but you stand there. And I wonder how many times in my life I've stood there having received everything that God had wanted to give me, but I didn't strike the water because I was afraid of what the people across the river would think. I've wondered how many times the, the, the passions and the, the purposes of God in my life have been stillborn because I have been more concerned about what people think across the river than what God has already placed in my hands. Not what he's going to, but I'm holding it. Or I get stuck on that side of the river. The truth is, we all know this, there are always people on the other side of the river. There are always people who are waiting. You got the kind of picture with the sons of the prophets that they're kind of waiting for Elisha to fail. You don't come out and say that, but you get that feeling. Like they're just waiting for that. And there are lots of people in your life and in mine who are waiting on the sideline, hoping Hoping, hoping, man, I want to see something good, but really I want to see something bad. You know how I know this? It's because I have Facebook, right? <laughs> I know this. You know this, right? There's always somebody ready to comment. There's always somebody ready, armed and loaded, to say, well, I knew that wouldn't happen, Right? There's always somebody in your life and in mine who's ready to see you fail. But Elijah, or Elisha, is not holding the dreams of a mantle, the hopes of a mantle. He's actually holding the mantle. He has everything he needs at that moment to succeed. He's not waiting for it. He has it. He possesses it. And somewhere along the way, whether or not Elisha has the same internal struggles that I do or not, somewhere along the way, the faith musters inside of him to grab a hold of that mantle and strike the water. And when you know it, that's exactly what takes place, is what took place before. Look at what takes place here. And when he had struck the water, and this is verse 14, the water parted from one side to the other, and Elisha went over. And this is what the sons of the prophets have to say about him. As they look on, they say, and the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them. They said, the spirit of Elisha, or Elijah rests on Elisha. He got what he wanted on the side of a hill somewhere in Jerusalem. Jesus is standing with his people, and they're wondering, Jesus, when are we going to get tapped in? What are we supposed to be doing? 
what are we supposed to be about? When are you going to establish your kingdom? And Jesus says, don't focus on the things that will distract you, the things that are to the right or to the left, the things that you can't possibly even sort out. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And then Jesus lifts off the ground in the same way that Elijah did so that they could know that each and every one of them were Elisha. And just 10 days later, the mantle of the Holy Spirit fell in an upper room where they had been praying for 10 days. They had locked themselves in there knowing that Jesus would answer his promise. Jesus would provide for them and that he would give them not only his spirit, but listen, he would give them his inheritance, his mantle, his responsibility so that they could continue the work that Jesus had started because that was the promise of Jesus. Jesus promised them that greater things they would do than they than he had actually done. Was that in and, and, and quite Quality? No, of course not. Jesus is always the greater, but in quantity, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They would see the blind eyes open. They would see the bodies raised. They would see miraculous doors open because Jesus had given them the power of the Spirit, not so that they could feel the blessing and have, ooh, that made me feel Holy Ghost goosebumps. No, 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 because there was a world around them that needed to know there was a resurrected king who had come to make all things new. Friends, here, listen to me. I, I get the privilege of serving our network, and which means that I am in a church like this one probably, you know, there are 52 weeks a year, 35 of them, I'm in a different church. And I drive into communities all across this state, and I know the same thing is true in every community. Driving into Marysville, I knew today, driving around the homes of this community, that there are people right now in this very moment, who are bound in addiction. As we are feeling the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, our tasting of the fruits of salvation and being in Christ, they know nothing but sorrow, regret, and pain. There are marriages right now who are smashing, that are smashing against the rocks. There are teenagers right now, the leading cause of death in the state of Ohio for those who are 10 to 14 is suicide. There are those who are bound and broken. There are those, and this is the saddest one for me. I live on Gahanna, you know, a really nice suburb of Columbus. You know, there are marriages breaking up, and there are addictions, and there are hurts, and there are pain. You know, the saddest thing is to me, the people that are living for absolutely nothing. There is no pain in their life, but they are inoculated to the, the sorrows of their sin and the eternal destiny that God has for them because they are living for whatever gives them pleasure. There are people like that, too, in Marysville. God did not put you here in this really cool space so that you can come here and go, man, wasn't that, wasn't church good today? God planted you here. He has given you this mantle. He has given you the same power of the Spirit, not to just to those of you who feel special. And sometimes we have that, right? We look around, and there are people in this church who are like walking on water. They're so holy. And you look at them, and when they pray, that God answers their prayer. And when they, man, golly, goodness gracious, they are like, they are with God, and I am somehow on the sideline. Guess what? Nobody's on the sideline. Everybody gets to be in the game. Everybody gets to have purpose. Everybody gets to have power. Everybody gets to have inheritance. And the reason for that is because 
everyone beyond these walls needs the hope of Jesus. Jesus says, don't get hung up in all this stuff, but you will receive power. Your whole purpose, your whole meaning is to be my witness in all the spaces and places the world will take you. God has called you as a church. God has called you as a church. I know this is true because this is the mission of the church. To go into the darkness of this community. If you haven't signed up to participate in this light the night thing, go ahead. Today's your opportunity. I'm not even paid to say that, okay? <laughs> Why? Because that may be your chance to bring something different. That may be your chance. And you may look at yourself and go, man, I don't have what it takes. And guess what? None of us do. If you think that any person in this room is fit for the power of the Spirit, you got another thing coming. But Jesus makes us right. And he hands us his power so that we will continue his work. That the power of the Spirit that was available to the disciples is the same power of the Spirit that is available to you. Don't stand on the threshold hold of the Jordan, holding the mantle, praying, God, would you give me the power when he's already provided it to you? It's time to strike. It's time to hit the water. It's time to step out in faith and do the audacious thing that God has called you to do because what he has promised is, is that he will give you everything you need to continue his work in this community so that this room can be full over and over and over again with people who have got hurts and hang-ups and, and horror stories in their backgrounds. But they will be redeemed in a place like this one. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back at this time. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. As they get all set this morning. I'm going to talk to a couple of groups here today. First of all, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I <laughs> maybe you're far from God. Maybe you've been coming to church for a minute, but you just never taken that step. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, if you want to turn your life to him today, that can happen moment, Pastor Matt can give you kind of the next steps on, on, on how you get plugged in, but you don't have to have a card <laughs> to, to turn your heart to Jesus. Literally, the, the, the idea in the Bible is that we turn, that we basically used to be living in this kingdom, and now we transfer our citizenship to this kingdom. And the way we do that is to acknowledge Jesus as our, our leader. The Bible the word uses the word Lord. It's the one who governs all of our life and our Savior, the one who rescues us from our sin and our brokenness. In a moment when we pray, if that's you, I just, in your own way, in your own words, it doesn't have to be pretty, because <laughs> this is the great thing about God is that he grabs a hold of what's in our heart. He can feel our heart change even if our words don't match exactly what it is. But you can give your heart to him this morning, just in your own way. You can even repeat just what I said, Jesus, I want to make you Lord and I want to make you Savior. That could be enough. But maybe you're in a different category of folks. Maybe, maybe you've been really burdened with a, a 
a thing. Maybe it's a coworker that you go, man, they're so far from God and just don't know what to say or do. It's just like, man, they're, they're just turned around and I, I feel so inadequate because, because they, they just seem so hostile to Jesus. I don't know what to do. Maybe you've been standing there with all the power of the Holy Spirit in your hands and you just need to strike the water. Maybe, maybe it's a friend or family member. Maybe it's a, 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 a ministry that God has called you to, to, to launch or some neighbors that God has called you to reach or a small group that you're supposed to lead or, or whatever it may be that God is placing in your heart. And for whatever reason, you've been standing on the edge. You just haven't struck the water because the, the fear of failure overtakes possibility of what the Lord may do through your life. And today, part of what you need to do is go, God, <laughs> I'm striking the water. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that Jordan River today because I am just not going to allow these fears or the thoughts of other people to dictate the work that you do in my life. Maybe you're here today and you didn't even know there was power accessible. You say, Josh, that's nuts. What are you talking about to everybody? I thought special people got the power of the Spirit. I thought it was something you like got to at a certain point. You know, you had to be a Christian for 10 years, or you had to read the Bible a certain no- number of times, or whatever it may be. You had this belief in your brain that, that just kept you from the fullness of God's power. But the Bible says that it's accessible to everyone, that, that you can be the word that would be used in our context, would be baptized in the Spirit, that you can be a person where the Holy Spirit, if you've ever seen water baptism, dunks you into all of who he is. He empowers you and anoints you. And that can happen for you today, and all you have to pray is, Jesus, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you fill me with your spirit? So across this room, no matter where you fit, maybe you've got something else rattling around in your heart that the Holy Spirit's kind of kind of drawn your attention to. You can pray that too. I'm going to ask you to stand across this room. In a second, they're going to kind of go into a a time of worship and response. However you need to respond today, if you you want to take that step and become a follower of Jesus Christ, you get to pray that prayer today. If you have been standing on the sideline, you've been been waiting on the side of the Jordan and it's time to strike, I want to to encourage you, strike today. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you want to be baptized, maybe for the first time or freshly today, I want you to throw your hearts and your hands into the air and say, God, fill me with your spirit. So can we pray together today? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come into this place. God, there may be folks who are under the sound of my voice today who are are making what is the most important decision they'll ever make, not just for their life in the here and now, but for all of eternity for them. They, they've been hearing your good news and they've been hearing your hope and they, they've been uniquely drawn by your spirit to come to this very moment where they're going to say yes to you. They're going to make you the Lord and Savior of their life. They're going to make you the leader and completer, the one who makes all things right and all things new. They're going to take that step today. Give them courage, Lord, today to walk into all that you have for them by the power of your spirit, God. God, I pray for those who you have been stirring even in this morning. 
They have been feeling it down inside of their bones where they, they know that they need to take a step. They know they've got that neighbor. They know they've got that friend, that coworker, that classmate who so desperately needs Jesus. They know they've got this calling that burns down deep inside of them and they can't possibly put it all together because they're so afraid of failure. And they're so, so inwardly looking at all of the, the, the shortfalls that they have. God, would you show them today that you have given them everything they need. They're holding the mantle and they're, they give them the faith to strike today. Give them the faith to, to reach up in the air and strike that mantle on the ground knowing that you will respond because you have given us the power of your spirit to continue your work. Continue your work. God, I pray for those today that, that just need more of your spirit. Maybe for the first time they've never been baptized in your Holy Spirit that today can be that day. That day when the Holy Spirit comes upon them like a mighty rushing wind, like fire in their bones and they're changed. God, if there are folks today that they know that experience in their past, but they need that fresh fire today, may they lean into that this morning. And I pray collectively for this body because together you have given them the power of your spirit. May it be true that the gathering never stands on the side of the Jordan River worried about what's happening on the other side of the river, worried about their failures and shortcomings, but instead, may they strike the water, and every time it's, they strike, may the waters part. God, may you do powerful things in and through this church. May you pour out your spirit on this place so that Marysville, Ohio, is different because they're here. God, may it be true that Marysville, Ohio is, a, is a, a, an outpost of the kingdom of God because the gathering has decided the gates of hell will not prevail in this city. May they do it not in their own strength and not in their own power, Lord, not in their own wisdom or in their own might, their strategies, but Lord, may they do it in the power of your spirit. God, we thank you. And we give you all praise and glory today. In Jesus' name, let us worship together. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.